0: All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, and if you don't, there should be one near you somewhere in a chair, turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1, Dear Lord, we love you so very much, and we are so grateful, so thankful that you saved us. We were not deserving in any way, we were not worthy, but such was your love. Because, God, you are a God of love. You are love. Perfect love. And in your goodness and your kindness and your great love, you saw fit to save us. And we thank you for that. Lord, how could we ever thank you enough? We can't. But, Lord, we've come here today on some level to try to express our desire to honor you, to bless your holy name, to express gratitude to worship You, and to learn of You, and to know how we might better serve You. And so, Father, receive our praise, receive our worship. Holy Spirit, I ask that as Your Word goes forth, that You would move in the hearts and the minds of everybody here, that You would exalt Christ, that we would exalt Christ, and that You would minister to each and every need in this room today, for Your glory and for the good of Your church. I thank you for the generous gifts of your people today who have supported as we collectively work to support uh, the the ministry here and the needs and the mission and uh, the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel in this community and beyond. Take our, our gifts, Lord, our tithes and our offerings and bless them, Lord, would you please multiply that and may there be great fruit that would come forward as we invest, as we sow seeds, God into the great kingdom work. Receive our worship, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen and amen. All right, so I am drinking out of a mason jar today because, you know, I am, uh, I'm from the south. I don't apologize for it, I'm right proud of it, you might say, and I was drinking out of mason jars before any of these hipsters came along and made it the cool thing to do, you understand? And so uh, I just thought, I'm going to own that today. And so instead of having my little bottle of water up here, I'm just going to start drinking out of the mason jar. Amen? (laughs) So good. You know, everything's just better in a mason jar. I remember when I was kind of new here, and I was drinking water out of an empty um, Dr. Pepper bottle that I had pulled the label off. And uh, after the service, a lady came up to me. She's like, "Were you really just drinking water out of a out of a Dr Pepper bottle with the label pulled off?" I was like, "Oh yeah, y'all ain't ready for that. Y'all don't know. That's that's about as southern as it gets." So I, you know, anyway, let me. I'm wasting time now. Okay, so today we're continuing on in this series uh, dealing with commitment, commitment in the church, and so. Uh, we've already been uh, in this for, I think, four weeks now, and we started by dealing with Jesus' commitment to His church, then we talked about the church's commitment to Jesus, and then to itself, then we talked about the pastor's commitment to the church, as he, Jesus has given pastors to shepherd the body of Christ, our commitment to you, our commitment to Jesus, And then last week, we talked about the church's commitment to church discipline. Um, Interesting message, not something that we hear talked a lot about in church, and so um, I want to encourage you week by week, if you haven't heard any of those messages, please go back and listen to those on YouTube, because... Obviously, anytime I'm up here teaching, I want all of our people to be present and to hear those messages. But right now, I'm especially in a season where each week I am coming with things that are very heavy on my heart. And I have a lot of freedom to search the scriptures and just pull out the things that I most want to set before you as I try to frame this coming year and set the trajectory of our church. And so I want everybody to hear all of these messages. Okay, So please go back week by week and listen to any of the messages perhaps you weren't able to catch already. So today we're going to keep moving in this series, and we're going to get a little more practical, and we're going to talk about what commitment looks like. And the next few weeks are going to be really more in that uh, direction. So today, I want to talk about commitment to being present and participating in the body of Christ. a commitment. The church's commitment. That's, that's all of us. We are the church. We understand that. So our commitment to be present and to participate. That's something that the pastor knows all too well. I mean, it's a real, it's, it's a real you know, I don't want to say it's, you know, an obligation, a duty, a responsibility. Pastors cannot call in late. They have to crawl in late. You understand? So like, we got to be here. And so this is something that um, I appreciate It's something that I struggled with for years, Um, you know, for the first, I would say, seven years of my Christian walk. Now, I lived in, everywhere in the South, everyone claims to be the buckle of the Bible belt. I don't know what that is. That seems to be some kind of honor that we are all competing to have in the South. We're in the Bible belt, and who is the center of it? Everybody seems to think they are. But uh, I just say that to say there are churches everywhere, I mean, on every corner, and um, you could just go from church to church to church and never really have to repeat or, or you know, go to another church twice. And so what you would have is uh, consumer church shopping. That's what I was. I was a consumer church shopper, just looking for the church that had everything that I wanted exactly the way that I wanted it, right? And so obviously no church would measure up, so you just keep bouncing around. Or, uh, and as such, I would be a constant church hopper. So that's what you do. You hop. You shop and you hop. Shop and hop, right? And uh, at times, I was what I'd like, what I call a a stealth church attendee. I was there, but you never even knew it. Just like a ninja, all right? I came in, and I got out, and no one ever had any clue that I was even there because I didn't want to be known or seen or interacted with. And so all of that is just not good. It's not good. And it's, it's something that happens. It's a reality in the body of Christ everywhere. And so um, I'm excited to talk about this because it's uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart, the commitment to be present and to participate. And so as a member of the body of Christ, every member is called to do its part. Every part has a part to play. It has a contribution to make. Ephesians 4:15 says, "...but speaking truth and love, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, now listen to this, according to the effective working by which every part does its share." This causes growth for the body, for the edifying of itself in love. For the body to function well and to grow and health, every part has to do its part. Amen? Every part must do its share. And so if you are a member of this church, as you know, we've been talking about doing membership and um, really kind of redefining what that means... And uh, people are scared of the word formal. I've been advised not to use the word formal membership. Um, But uh, so I won't, even though I just did. And, uh, you know, membership kind of really let's all be on the same page. This is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what we would ask of you if you want to be a part of this body of Christ. And you can say in your heart and out loud that, yes, I'm with that. I love this church, I love the people, I love the mission, I love the pastors, and uh, yeah, I want to be a member. That's our desire. And so we want to communicate over the last several weeks and the next several weeks kind of what that means, what we're passionate about, what we would hope to see you do um, as a member of this church. And with that comes this idea of being present and participating. And so let me just say this, there are seasons of life And levels of participation certainly vary you know there are sometimes there are people who come in here who are hurting deeply wounded even and what they need is just have a safe place where they can come in hear the word of god be ministered to loved on and lay low for a season i think that's totally appropriate right um there are people who need to just come in as new believers and and be discipled and and strengthened and invested in so that they can be equipped to really plug in and serve. And so there there are different scenarios, and everybody's situation is different, and there are different seasons of participation, but sooner or later, and generally speaking, we must all participate, right? Christianity is not a spectator sport, right? Right? We're not watching it at home on the couch screaming at the TV because if we were coaching that football team, we could have coached them to victory, right? And so sometimes that's what church is like. People are thinking in their head, I would do it this way, I would do it that way, but honestly, you're not doing anything at all. And so you know how it should be done. So it's like, get in the game, all right? Get in the game. It's not a spectator sport. And so we want people to be committed to being present and to participation in the body of Christ. Amen? Sound good? You with me? You sure about that? All right, let's go. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So there's really two points in this text, and in fact, why don't we read it together? And how about we all stand up? Let's honor God's Word. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read to us verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. honor giving preference to one another you may be seated all right so really two main points in this text the first thing we're going to look at is participation in corporate worship corporate that is um the community the the body uh, it's, it's plural. It's not individual. It's us collectively. It's collective worship, participation in a collective sense. Verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the first thing we notice here, Paul says, I beseech. Now, that's not something we typically say, I beseech you, sister. I beseech you, brother. Help me out over here. So we don't talk like that, but he's saying, look, I, I beg, I implore, I urge. That's the sense of what he's saying here. What's happening here is that Paul is speaking. He's preaching for a response he's trying to move the people and that's what i'm trying to do okay i am preaching for a response this is not a talking head up here talking to other heads that are just sitting out in the congregation i am urging you i am trying to move you to respond to the message today that's the that's kind of the the heart here that's the attitude that's the urgency that you can feel in this text And he says, I am urging you, therefore, by the mercies of God. So there's something that should compel the people to do the things that Paul is asking them to do. He says it's God's mercy, the mercies of God. That is what should move the the recipients of this letter that Paul was writing and us as well. And he appeals to the mercies of God. Now, what are these mercies? Well, that is everything that is wrapped up in chapters 1 through 11. So let me just read chapters 1 through 11 real quick. I'm just kidding. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just outline this very quickly. In chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those who believe. So he starts with this gospel declaration. That is the power of God to salvation. That is God's gift, and that is so good That is so important because the wrath of God, God's righteous anger, is being stored up, built up against a world that suppresses the truth of God. See, the world denies, rejects this idea that there is a God, and so God's wrath is being stored up. And one day the dam is going to break and God's righteous judgments are going to come crashing down on the world against the unbelieving world. Now this is true of the world because, now that's chapters 1 and 2, now this is true of the world because the world is depraved, chapter 3. We are dead in our sin, we are by nature rebels against a holy God, and we reject the truth of God that has been revealed to us, and so God's judgment against the world is righteous, it's good, it's just, but chapter 4, God is loving, He's gracious, He's merciful, Therefore, through faith in Jesus Christ, his son, we are justified. That is declared righteous, declared innocent. It's a legal declaration. It's forensic. Theologians like to call it forensic justification. That is to say God says it so, and so it is. We don't feel very justified, but it doesn't matter because God says you are forgiven, justified. Chapter 4. Chapter 5, we are reconciled to God, so we were at enmity against God, but now we've been brought in and we've been restored, reconciled, and we have the peace of God. Chapter 6 through 7 says that we are sanctified, we are not only made right with God, but now we're growing in godliness by God's design. Chapter 8, we are united with Christ by the Spirit. We can say that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, that is union with Christ. We are adopted into the family of God, chapter 8. Not just forgiven, not just reconciled, but made sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are recipients of God's sovereign and electing love, chapters 8 through 11. That's a lot. And that's a record. I just summarized chapters 1 through 11. Amen. And so all of that, those are the mercies of God. If you have experienced these things then you know, you are compelled, you cannot help but respond. And so Paul is pointing them back to all of that, and he says, in light of all of these glorious truths that are ours in Christ, he says, brethren, brothers, sisters, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this is Old Testament worship language, sacrificial worship Language. People would come in and they would offer their sacrifices to God. They would be killed there and the blood would be poured out on the altar. And that was really a picture of what would happen when Christ would come and would be the Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world. His blood would be shed for us so that. Our sins were placed on him, and God's righteous wrath was poured out on his own son in our place so that we could receive the righteousness of Christ and the forgiveness of God. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. All that is true. And so Paul says, I'm not asking you to be a sacrifice that dies, as it were, but a sacrifice that lives continually day by day, laying your life down in worship and service to God. All right? That's what Paul is calling them to do and to be. But notice he says, brethren, this is plural, your bodies, that is plural, lay down your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is singular. So we are collectively, individually called to lay down our lives, but we come together as one living sacrifice when we gather together as the body. You catch that? And so Paul is speaking to the body of Christ here. You are to come together corporately, and you are a living sacrifice. So we are to be a church that is holy and pleasing to God, which is reasonable and rational, Paul says. We're to be a church that looks and sounds like Jesus. We're not to be a church that looks and sounds like the world. He says, do not be conformed to the world. You saw that? Now, what's interesting about that word, conformed, it's in the passive, and what that means is it is happening to us, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. The world will conform us into its image. That will happen. It is happening. Unless something radical intervenes and changes that dramatically, and that is Jesus Christ. And Paul says, do not be conformed any longer, but be transformed. Transformed, and that is metamorphosis. That's the word. And it's like when a when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And that's the idea of this word here. We are to be radically changed, no longer conformed to the world, but radically transformed into something brand new, something lovely, something holy, something that is pleasing to the heart of God. And that is to be true of the church collectively as the body of Christ. It's glorious, isn't it? That is Paul's call. And we are to do this by the renewing of our minds through God's truth. That is why we try to, every time we come together, immerse ourselves into the truth of God's word. Because it's not my insight and opinions and suggestions and advice that's going to do that. It's God's word. That is what has the cleansing power and the renewing power and the transforming power. It is God's word. Amen? Okay. And so. In so doing all of this, Paul says, we will experience God's good and pleasing will. So, this really is the starting point. This is the starting point. Do you know Christ? Have you received His gift of life, eternal life, new life, brand new life? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Have you been transformed? Are you being transformed? Have you experienced all of these mercies that have been laid out for yourself? Have you? Individually? That's the starting point. Look, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on community, on the community aspect of Christianity. But you have to have a personal and legitimate saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you can't just come into a church and think because you attend a church with a bunch of Christ believers that that makes you in with Christ. You've got to do business with Jesus. You have to trust Christ. You have to receive his righteousness in your stead. Your sins have to be paid for by his perfect sacrifice. You have to receive the Holy Spirit for yourself. You have to have a brand new regenerated heart. Amen. That's the starting point. Otherwise, you are not a member of the universal church, all our brothers and sisters around the world, even those who are in heaven as we speak, and those who will come after us. That is the universal body of Christ. You're not a member of that body if you haven't been born again. And you cannot rightly be a member of any local church if you have not been born again. So you've got to be transformed. You have to receive these mercies of God. But from here, Paul begins to get very practical about what being a living sacrifice looks like within the body of Christ. And so that brings us to kind of our second point, participating in corporate worship, in corporate service, excuse me. So we've been talking about participation in corporate worship, but now for the remainder of this text, verses 3 through 10... We're going to look at participation in corporate service, serving the Lord, showing up, being present, participating, being engaged, okay? So there's really four things in these next uh, several verses, 3 through 10, that we're going to look at, and uh, I'll do an A, B, C, and D, all right? And so A starts with a proper self-perspective proper self-perspective. We must realize and recognize that we need the body of Christ. You need to know that. You need to know that you need the body of Christ. Verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So Paul encourages the people of the church, everyone who is among you, to have a balanced perspective, not to think too highly of themselves, right? Now, this is something that happens in the church. This is a trap that people fall into. Sometimes people do think too highly of themselves, and you know what they think? They think they can do the Christian life on their own. Lone Ranger Christians, right? I don't need the church. I don't need... You know anybody else it's just me and Jesus and I've got this right that's that's the mindset all too often you know what happens to the banana that leaves the bunch it gets peeled y'all should just be able to shout that out by this point I've said that like 20 times the banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled all right simple as that we need each other we have to stick together I've heard people have that kind of attitude, they just don't need other people, that they're fine by themselves. That's what Satan wants. He wants to pick you off, separate you from the pack, right? Divide and conquer. And so we got to watch out for that. We are not ignorant to the devices of the, the evil one, and that is one of his tactics. Or you have people who think, as I said about myself earlier, that they need the perfect church, right? And they won't settle until they find that perfect church. And so everything has to be tuned in to exactly how they want it in every single way. And they will not commit themselves until they find it. And so the problem is they never will find it. It doesn't exist. And that's not really the right perspective anyways. The idea really is, God, where have you called me to be? And God, how can I help to better... The church, how can I use my gifts to serve the church, right? And so we've got to watch out for that. It's a tendency to think too highly of oneself. Now, I don't know that that is most often the issue. I think that if there's, a, if there's something that people have a certain tendency towards is to think too lowly, to think, uh, think too low of themselves. And uh, maybe they live in a place of constant guilt and shame. And what do they do? They isolate right? They think, oh, I can't go to church because I have this struggle or I'm going through this thing. And they start getting paranoid and they start listening to to the enemy and they think, oh, they're all just talking about me, right? That's something that happens very often. And so what do people do? They isolate. You know, they fail to realize the value that they bring to the church and that when they're missing, the church hurts as a result of the lack of their presence there. And so, we have to have sober thinking here. We need to recognize that we need the body of Christ. We need to recognize that. Not think too highly of ourselves. Not think too low. We need to recognize that none of us are so good that we don't need anybody. And none of us are so bad that we have to sever ourselves from community. Right? The church is just full of messed up people. I say that over and over. We are all struggling. We are all struggling but we're struggling together. We're struggling together and we are here to encourage one another along. We are falling forward, right? Falling forward. We get back up and we keep moving, keep pressing forward. So we need to recognize that we need the body of Christ. The next thing, be a proper corporate perspective so there's a proper self perspective i need the body of christ i need the church but then there's a a proper kind of collective perspective and that is recognizing that the body of christ needs you the body of christ needs you to be present and engaged to be present and participating i think people don't believe that people don't believe that but it's true it's what the word of god says does it not And so, verse 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So, recognize that you are a part of a much bigger whole, okay? So, we we are a part of the, the pie, if you will, okay? And so, every part has to be present. Every part has to do its part. Paul says that there are many members and they do not do the same thing. Now, take note of that. There are many members, but they don't do the same thing. You know what that means? That means that if one part is missing, it's going to frustrate everything. If every part did the same thing, then it wouldn't matter if we were missing a few parts because we have several other parts that can jump in and do do the job. But the Bible says every part has a different part to play. So if there is a part that is absent, it frustrates the whole. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Okay. So you must be present and you must participate. Now, a person can be disabled because they have lost an arm. Okay, that's a a severe issue. They have lost an arm. The arm is gone. It is absent from the body. They are severely hindered and what they can do, and the rest of the body has to learn to make up for the absence of that part. Now at the same time, a person can have that arm present, but the arm can be disabled, can be permanently paralyzed, it's inactive, it's as if the arm were gone, right? The arm is present, but it's non-functional, and the body still suffers maybe you get where i'm going with this you have to be present and you have to be engaged you get the idea you get the picture it's one thing to be missing an arm but you can have an arm that just hangs lifeless and does nothing that is the way a lot of people can be in the body of christ they are here but they're not serving in any way they're not participating or contributing to the overall good and health and strength of the body several weeks ago pastor dan was up here teaching And he said, he just went on and on about how much he loves to beat dead horses. Remember that? If you weren't here right now, that probably sounds very weird to you. But man, he spent like two minutes describing how he would beat a horse into powder and then put the powder and compress it into a puck and then smash the puck again into a bunch of powder. And so I just love that. That really uh, drew me in well. Well, You know what? I'm going to give that brother some love right now. I'm going to beat a dead horse. You must be consistently present. you got to be here. You've got to be here. Now, I'm not trying to be like some legalist that, you know, if you don't show up to church one Sunday, you have sinned. Sin. Sin, sin, sin. You ought to be ashamed, right? No, that's not what this is, okay? What I'm saying is that we have to be committed to consistency. Presence, it's important, and... Church attendance in Northern California is a strange thing. I still am tripped out by it. You know, where I'm from, it's just kind of baked into the culture, man. People go to church on Sunday. It's what we do. And then we tear up the buffets and the restaurants after church, and it's a thing. You go out into the community, the, the restaurants are packed. It's the church crowd, man. They're out there. It's a, it's a thing. And I don't see that out here anywhere, but the attendance is uh it's it's really strange i was i started noticing this uh, that on any given sunday uh, you know there are several people that are just missing and i was talking to another pastor friend of mine and he was like yeah thirty percent any given sunday thirty percent of the church is missing and To date, I don't like go down a list and and count and, and, you know, try to account for faces, but I have a general sense, and I can say, I think, with 100% confidence that since I've been here, I don't think there has been a Sunday where all of our people were present. It's just a strange thing, and, you know, um, I realize there's more to do out here, you know, in California, there are places to go. People are generally more healthy, and so they like to go out and about and do things, and People can be more affluent here. They have the means to go out and about and do various things. Uh, I don't know if that plays a part in it, but attendance is a strange thing. People just, it doesn't seem like a lot of people see it as something that is just that important, that important that they must be present with the body of Christ. But the Bible says that it is critically important for the health of the church and to glorify Jesus and to be present consistently. Well, I hope that you love this church, that you're being well-fed here, and that you are growing. You know, um, I, I want you to make it a priority to be here. That's my, you know, as a pastor, I'm speaking as the pastor here. That's my heart. That's my desire. I want you to be here consistently present. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, Fights happen on the way to the church, you name it. Anything that can go wrong does go wrong. Sometimes people will turn around and go home. Man, that's especially when you need to be in church. You understand? When stuff's falling apart and you're fighting and everything that can go wrong, man, don't you know that that is the tactic of the enemy? He is trying to take you out. He doesn't want you to be here and to be blessed. He doesn't want you to be encouraged. He wants you to, to give in to that and go home. What do you think that's going to accomplish, right? And so, uh, you know, get in here, you know, crawl in late. That's why I always tell people I'm out there greeting folks and people come in, they're like, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm like, well, you are not late here ever. Okay, you're always on time. Pastor Dan came to me last week and was like, Pat, you got to stop saying that, man. Stop telling people they're always on time. And I'm like, okay, you're right. But you get what I'm saying. I just want you here. I just want you here, and if it's you got to be thirty minutes late, yeah. If you got to be thirty minutes late, okay, man. Just get in here, all right. And so you got a part to play, and so not only to be present, but to be consistently engaged, fully engaged. So that leads us to see, and that requires proper usage of the spiritual gifts. Proper usage of the spiritual gifts, and uh, you know what. It's so cool. We are equipped and empowered to bless the body of Christ. You know, it's amazing. In the Old Testament, you look at Pharaoh in Exodus, and uh, Moses went in and, and said, let God's people go. And Pharaoh said, you know what? You guys got too much time on your hands. He's like, now you've got to do all of this work, but I'm not, we're not going to give you the supplies to do it anymore. Now you've got to get your own supplies and do all of the, the work and the crush, crushing quota and all of that. And you know, Pharaoh, he's a picture of Satan. That's how Satan is. He's a harsh and a cruel taskmaster. But not so with Jesus. He calls us to do something and he gives us the means to do it. He gives us the gifts to do it. He gives us the power to do it. And then he rewards us for doing it. That, that blows me away. That's Jesus. He loves his church. Amen? And he gives his church gifts. And so, verse six, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches and teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, we have gifts. We all have gifts. If you are born again at the moment of salvation, when you receive a new heart and you breathe that first breath as a new creation, as it were, and your eyes are opened to the to the reality of Jesus and his goodness in a very brand new sense, you have gifts that have been given to you. Oftentimes, you've got to find out what they are, and it takes cultivation. You've got to work on strengthening and growing in those gifts so often, but we all have gifts. And the Bible says that they are differing gifts. We all have a different role to play. The gifts are different. And I point that out. He specifically says it there, the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us because it's important for us to know there is no gift that we all have to have to be a Christian. And sometimes churches will say things like that. There's a particular gift that you must have to demonstrate that you actually are a Christian or in the faith, and that is simply not the case because it says that we receive differing gifts according to the grace that is given to us. So the gifts that we have, it's all grace. We don't deserve them. They are empowered by God. It's like salvation. We're saved by grace. We're gifted by grace. We serve by God's grace. We're kept by God's grace until the day when we see him face to face, right? And so we have gifts that have been sovereignly and uniquely distributed to the body of Christ. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. He just mentions a few here. You can go to Ephesians 4. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Uh, There's a few mentioned in 1 Peter 5, I believe. It might be chapter 4, actually. And then you have a couple here. And so it's not a comprehensive list, That's not really the point that Paul is trying to make here. This is not a step-by-step analysis of what the spiritual gifts are. There are different kinds of gifts, different categories of gifts. And so that's something that at some point we will go very deep into as the church. Um, But for now, suffice it to say, you've got a gift, use it. That's the point. That is the point he's making. Let us use the gifts. And let us use the gift that we've been given. So there are many needs in the body of Christ. And you might have the gift of teaching. And we have need for people to teach in the children's ministry. And you may want to come clean the church. Now we need the church to be clean. Don't get me wrong. And I appreciate that. And it's a huge help. But you need to use the gift that God has given you. you know? And so teach. If that's the gift, that's the point Paul's making. Use the gift that God has given you. And so that's your place in the body of Christ. Use the gift and use it mightily. You know, this was a struggle for Timothy, Paul's protege. Timid Timothy. He was kind of a a scared guy. I won't belabor that too much. But in 2 Timothy, Paul had to encourage him to get back in the game. Paul left him in Ephesus to pastor that church. And it was not an easy job. And it looks as though he gave in to... Um, intimidation and fear, and he began to back off. He wasn't using his gifts as he once had. And so Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, he says, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Don't be scared, Timothy. God gave you a gift, man. Use it. Man, God has given us a spirit of boldness, of confidence, power, love, of, of a sound mind, sobriety, self-control. Use the gift that God has given you, right? That's, Timothy was neglecting his gift. He was, I mean, Timothy was neglecting his gift. That's an amazing thing to think. And Paul had to challenge him, stir up the gift. Stir up that gift so that you become proficient with that. You are an expert in your gift. That's, what I'm, that's, that's the goal of the preacher. I am regularly trying to think through how can I improve upon my giftings that God has given me for your sake and for God's glory. And you should be doing the same thing too. What is your gift? I mean, you need to become like special forces with your gift. You got me? And oftentimes we have multiple gifts. So you need to know what that is and become proficient in using it. Don't let fear and insecurity cheat uh, cheat the body of Christ. Because that's really what happens. If you don't use your gift because of insecurity or fear, or maybe not even knowing what it is, maybe not even caring, the body suffers. You know what? Do not believe the lie that you don't have anything to offer. Don't believe that. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because Jesus has given you something to give to the body of Christ and to honor Him with. Don't believe the lie that your gift is not as valuable as the next person's gift. That's really, I think that might be more what happens. And preachers can really fall into this too. Start listening to other teachers and, ooh, ah, I wish I preached like that guy. And so that's just a, that's a constant struggle. And so we've got to watch out for that. You've got a gift. It's a valuable gift. It's an important gift. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have given it to the church if he didn't think it was important. Don't let laziness or sin or unbelief cheat the body of your gifts. Don't let sin take you out. Don't let laziness or apathy. Don't let napathy creep in and take you out. Don't do it. Fight that urge. Don't be drawn away. Don't be enticed. I have an application I can make right here, but I'm going to save it for the end of this next section here. So this is our final little portion here. So we talked about the gifts. A proper self-perspective, you need the body of Christ. A proper corporate perspective, the body of Christ needs you. And then using, uh, once we get into the the body of Christ, uh, using our gifts for the, the health of the body. And now, proper treatment of the saints. How do we as the body of Christ care for one another? Now, I could do a standalone message just on this right here. Really, I could on every one of these, but... At this point, I want to talk to you about something that's called the one another commands. Have you ever heard of that? Never you ever heard the phrase one another commands? Well, that's a very important part of the New Testament teaching. It's, it's one word in the Greek, allelon, and it is translated or rendered one another. It's used about 100 times, and about 50 of those times is dealing with Christian interaction, how we are to care for one another. And you can Google it and find a list that's laid out extensively. It's, it's really cool to have that and look through that because we are regularly exhorted to care for one another in a variety of ways. And a couple of those are right here in verses 9 and 10. So I'll talk about that. So verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, hate or detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preference to one another. All right, so he says, let love be without hypocrisy. It's an interesting word here. Uh, it's it's really the, the word two-faced. Uh, in, in classical theater, oftentimes people would play multiple roles, and you understand a guy might be play the role of a male and a female, just depending on what mask and change his voice and you know just kind of do all of that right he was two-faced wearing masks and it didn't really have a negative connotation initially but throughout time that word took on the idea of being two-faced being a hypocrite in the sense that we understand that word and so paul says we cannot be hypocritical when it comes to love we have to be the real deal We can't just try to put on a front and fake love. We have to have sincere, genuine love. We need to be deliberate about it, intentional about it. Amen? And then he says, be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. See, that goes beyond surface level. Kindly affectionate, that takes some building, that takes bonding, that takes connecting, that takes suffering with each other, serving with each other. It goes beyond the superficial surface level. He says, giving preference to one another, that is, being others-minded, not so much what can I get or what did I get out of it, it's what can I give and how can I serve and be a blessing To other people, and it's subtle, but we do this. What do we often say about worship? Worship was so good today. I really liked worship. I really felt so good. I felt God's presence. Or you might hear people say, "I didn't really like worship today." That's I heard a pastor say. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard come out of someone's mouth. So I didn't say it. He said it. (laughs) I didn't like worship today. I mean, think about that. What? In In the south, we say, "Do what." My wife used to say to me, "I didn't do anything. What do you mean, do what? Say what? Say what? You didn't like worship today? Come again? Because it didn't make you feel some kind of way? Well, oh, that was never the goal in the first place. The goal is to exalt Christ and give Him the glory due His name. Yeah, but that same mindset trickles into every facet, every other facet. And so we have to be others-minded. So just real quick uh, on this one another thing. Jesus in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Galatians 6:2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 5 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. First Peter four nine, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Galatians five thirteen, through love serve one another. Hebrews ten twenty-four, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. First Peter four ten, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see that? It's all over the New Testament. The one another's. The one another commands. And I think that last one is so fitting. As each one has received a gift, use it. Minister to who? One another. How? As stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's it's been entrusted to you. It's not yours. It's God's. And you one day will have to give an account for how faithfully you used the gift that he gave you or didn't use it. Anybody in here know the story of the, the talents? To each man was entrusted a certain measurement, a weight of, uh, of money, and they had to invest it. Right. Well, that, the application is there. You've got a gift. It's not yours. It's been given to you by the Holy Spirit, and you're a steward of it. Are you using it to invest? Is Jesus going to be able to say well done, good and faithful servant? I gave you five and you turned it into ten? Or is it going to be, well, I buried my talent. I buried it. You know, we do even worse than that, right? We don't say, hey, I buried it. What we actually say is, I actually, I took it and spent it on myself. I'm sorry, but I have an IOU right here, right? That's what we do. And so we can't even say we just buried it. And so we got to do better than that. So th- those are the one another commands. Now here's the application. In order to do any of this, whether it's using your gifts or caring for the saints, you have to be present and you have to participate. You have to be present and you have to be engaged. This is people work. It's people work. That's what ministry is. We tend to think y'all just hang hang on, hang on, we're almost there, folks. We're almost at the finish line. So reel it in, all right? Here we go. We tend to think of ministry only in terms of usher, greeter, hospitality, children's ministry, clean team, media, security, etc., right? And those are important, and we need people to fill those roles. It creates issues if there are people who don't fill those roles. We currently need a secretary, and Pastor Dan and I have both figured out that we just are not good at that. It's a problem. I used to be the administrative pastor in Tennessee, that is a joke, and my pastor was like, here's the deal, I'll remind you to remind me to remind you to remind me, and then maybe we'll get this thing taken care of, and uh, me and Dan are kind of in the same boat, and so, you know, having a a secretary, someone who could work, you know, five, ten hours a week, it's, it's volunteer And, uh, you know, in the office to help us because we're, you know, we're drowning in that stuff, right? So every part has to play its part. It's necessary. Those are important. But it's more than that. Body life is more than that. It's people stuff. It's being present and engaged in each other's lives. It's allowing God to use you and other people's lives. One fantastic way to do this is by joining a home fellowship group. We have four or five of them going right now. They're growing. We're, gonna, we're getting ready to be splitting a couple of them after this next cycle, I'm pretty sure. And so, man, if you are not participating in a home fellowship group, you've got to plug in. If you want to get to know folks and be known by folks, there it is. That's the place to do it. And that's what it's all about, getting into people's lives and letting them get into yours so that we can experience true community, true fellowship, true partnership, true koinonia. That's what it's all about. It's people stuff. I really wanted to talk more about that, but time does not permit. Now, let me just say this. I realize that for many people, that sounds about as appealing as a root canal. Well, you know, we're shy, man. We're insecure. We don't, you know, we get go to someone's house. No, that uh, that's awkward. You know, have people come to my house. Uh-uh, no, sir. You know, and uh, man, once they see my kids, I'll be disqualified as a pastor, you know, uh, but... you got to do it we got to do it you know it's it's necessary we got to fight past the shyness and the insecurity we got to do our part we have to be consistently in attendance and committed to knowing others and being known by others that just doesn't happen if we show up late and leave early if you're a ninja if you're a stealth church warrior you know rolling in halfway during worship and then gone during the closing prayer right and so that that You'll never experience what I'm talking about if that's about the extent of your commitment or if you're only here half the time or once a month or once every couple of months. You will not experience the fullness of what Christ has called you to. Okay? And so you've got to be committed. You've got to be present. You've got to participate. Now, I know for some people in the room, this didn't even make a dent. I just know that I've been in this long enough by now to know that. And I know that there are many in this room who are already doing exactly what I'm talking about. Praise God. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. As a pastor, it delights my heart. Keep doing what you're doing. Amen. But I know that there are some who know that this was for them. And they want to answer that call. And they want to respond. You're being compelled. The Holy Spirit's moving in your heart right now to commit. And so obey God. Glorify God. Commit to the body of Christ. Do your part in strengthening the body. And we pastors are here to help and serve you in any way we possibly can to help you enter into the fullness of that. Amen? And so we're moving towards this membership thing we've been talking about in a few weeks. Once we kind of finish this series, we're going to ask you collectively take a card out of the front of the chair and put your name on it and say, I want to be a member, if you want to be a member. We're not going to take it for granted and just assume that people who have been here for 15, 20 years want to be a member. But we want you all to be a member. And some people will get grandfathered in because we know you. We've seen you. We know your gifts. We know your testimony and your faithfulness. Some of you we don't, but we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to hear your testimony. We want to know what your heart and your desire is. Uh, we, want, you know, we want to be able to affirm that, uh, yeah, this is a, a, a perfect fit. And, when, and I think we can all agree God is, is calling you here. You know, And, and we want to collectively have that confidence that, man, we are a body of believers, that we are in it together. We are in it to win it. We understand the mission. We understand what is important to this church. We know who the pastors and the elders and the deacons are. And we know our part in the body of Christ. And we want to commit. And we want to make a contribution to the overall well-being of the church. And so we're kind of moving towards that week by week. And so um, just be praying about that. Be praying about that. Because our desire is that everybody with one accord would lean into that. And maybe commit in a way that you have never committed before. And I can speak by experience. Been there, done that. And so I will never regret having entered fully into the blessedness of the body of Christ. Amen. Go. You know, uh, today we're going to recognize Gabriel Cortez and James Hartman and Jim Haug as deacons in the church. Yeah. We're going to lay hands on these brothers. And so these guys are here to serve you. And um, Russ Hennings, he's out in the children's ministry, and Mark Opus is back in the media room, but they are also deacons. And so, uh, as I said, they're here to serve the body of Christ. So let's pray for these brothers. Father, we thank you. For how you are working in calvary napa and the body of christ how uh, there are always new and fresh opportunities for people to step forward and step up in a variety of ways to use their gifts to make an impact to make a contribution to the body of christ to the health of the church and so i pray that this will be a time of celebration but excitement and encouragement for the body to see There are opportunities here, and we're always looking for people to step into what God has called them to. Thank you for these men that you have gifted to the body of Christ, who are godly and capable, able men who have been proven faithful and trustworthy, who we know will care for your body, Lord. They love the church. They love you, Jesus. And I am so grateful that you brought them to us, and I'm so grateful, God, that There's a place for them to serve in this capacity. And I'm grateful, Lord, for how you have used these brothers in the church already and how you will use them in even greater ways. So we worship you, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. And it's your mighty name we pray. Bless these guys. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.